Hi guys, this is Tony from Shelf Help, and welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series, Moving Forward, in which I'm sharing conversations with authors and experts on how we can learn and move forward from these extraordinary times with optimism and purpose. Today's guest, advertising exec and author Sophie Williams, was quietly preparing to promote her first book, Millennial Black, a manifesto for black women in business, when she unexpectedly became the voice of black allyship in the UK after one of her anti-racist Instagram posts went viral in June. The post, prompted by the Black Lives Matter movement and offering guidance on how to be a better ally, ran on Blackout Tuesday, attracting 50,000 new followers to Sophie's Instagram account in less than a week and a repost from Justin Bieber. Since then, Sophie, who has long been an anti-racism advocate and activist, pushing for more diversity in her industry, has masterminded an anti-racist billboard campaign and amassed 170,000 Instagram followers, as well as creating a charity webshop and signing a second book deal for Anti-Racist Ally, an introduction to action and activism, which comes out later this year, available for pre-order now. For me, self-development is about the ongoing process of becoming a better human, and in turn, making the world a better place. And today's conversation is a reminder that we all have a part to play in bringing about racial equality. Hi guys, and welcome to the Shelf Help podcast. At the moment, we're talking about moving forward. So utterly delighted to be talking to Sophie Williams today. Thanks for being here, Sophie. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. I thought I'd start today by telling you about how I discovered you, because I discovered you, like lots of people, on Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, but before Justin Bieber. So we'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) I actually discovered you because my husband, a white man, showed me your account, and he'd found it because somebody had recommended it to him, a white colleague, a white female colleague. And I thought, I wonder if you'd find that interesting and relevant and positive in relation to the kind of work you're doing at the moment. I do find it interesting. I definitely find it interesting. And I think this whole whole process and this whole couple of weeks has been a blur. So it's always, I'm always sort of trying to figure out what happened pre-Bieber, essentially. And um, yeah, knowing that that was a recommendation in that way is really interesting. I guess sort of the conversation that I'm having largely is about allyship. And so it does sort of rely on those on those groups of people sharing that information. But every time I hear that that is what's happened, I'm sort of surprised and delighted. So I found your Instagram account, I think it was on Blackout Tuesday. So trying to educate myself and looking at lots of different resources. But let's talk about Biebergate and maybe <laughs> talking about uh, a lot of this podcast is about how different our lives are now versus three months ago, because that's really when coronavirus started to impact everybody so much. But the world is now even more, or even more intense for a lot of people than mm-hmm even when I started thinking about this podcast uh, a month ago. So you could tell us a little bit about your life today, how much your life's changed and what um, what a day in your life is like. Yeah, you're right. Obviously, COVID was a really big change for people. I think for me, it was slightly less of a change. So in January, I stopped doing my full-time job in order to focus on writing to meet my deadline for Millennial Black. And that meant that I was essentially working from home anyway, sort of sitting down, getting some writing done each day, being in the house anyway, although I wasn't trapped in the house at that point. (laughs) So in those sorts of terms, it hasn't been a huge change, except now my partner also works from home. And we live in like a, a really open plan loft type apartment. So sort of figuring out the logistics of that has been interesting. We can't both be on calls at the same time. So if we have a clash, one of us has to go and hide in the bathroom. 
So that sort of, I, I worked in the bathroom more than I thought I would when we first moved here. <laughs> but yeah, I guess the biggest change for me has been more from the civil rights and Black Lives Matter movement and moment that's been happening rather than the corona element of things. And mm-hmm. that has been sort of really intense and really concentrated in the last four weeks. I think it's four weeks today. It's not been very long since I made my first post about allyship. And I don't really know what happened there. I made that post on an account that had under 1,000 followers. Those followers were primarily black women because that was who, and that is who, Millennial Black is aimed at and for, although it doesn't put all of the emphasis for change onto their shoulders. And so, yeah, to post something about allyship, which really speaks to a non-black audience in this time of Black Lives Matter, and to have that really take off in the way that it did. So just for context for your listeners, as I say, that was just under four weeks ago. At that time, I had under 1,000 followers. Today, I have 160,000 followers. So that's been a big, big jump. And that's been sort of the biggest difference for me, managing managing that conversation and how to speak to this new audience that I didn't have and didn't expect to have. Mm. You were working in anti-racism anyway, and anti being anti-racist is about taking action, right? So that's what you've been pushing for for a long time. I've been involved in this work for a long time. So I've done a lot of work speaking on panels. I've, I co-founded an organisation, a non-profit called Culture Heroes, which looks at getting more non-white talent into senior roles within creative industries. So I've been doing stuff like that for a long time. But my primary money-making work has always been in advertising. Until last year, I was the chief operating officer of a social media agency, which is probably why I'm pretty good at social at this point. And I left that to go freelance. I freelanced in-house for um, people like Netflix. And then I sort of stopped that in January to focus on writing. So whilst I've been doing anti-racism and race awareness work for a long time, it's never had the sort of platform or attention that it's having now. And interesting that you're talking to a new audience now because you have a lot of people looking to you for direction or information. And how does that feel? Because, I mean, that must feel kind of a responsibility and quite exhausting. Yeah, it's absolutely both of those things. So when when everything first took off a couple of weeks ago, I was like maybe sleeping for like four or five hours a night. I was really trying to respond to everything. So every comment, every message, every everything, I was trying to give personal care and attention to because I felt like I've been doing this work for so long and suddenly if people want to listen, I want to do everything I can to keep that engagement and keep them listening and keep them doing stuff. But then I realised that I was going to die, so then I stopped doing that. Yeah, but and I'm, I suppose every question and every kind of interaction is pretty heartfelt, isn't it? So it's quite hard to pull you to, to set those boundaries and to, and to pull yourself away from that. But obviously, yeah, there's there's only one of you, and this mm. is such a huge subject. So it's good that you've been able to do that. And are you now going to be doing this work as your full time job? Well, I don't know because no one pays you to Instagram, so it depends. So I've done some talking like run sessions for UK government and civil service. And so I'm talking to various other businesses about helping them with their anti-racism work. So if I can make this into my full-time job, that's very much what I would love to do. But also I'd Mm -hmm. love to still be able to pay my mortgage and all of that sort of stuff. So it's just, you know, the practicalities. 
the practicalities have to sort of be part of what I'm thinking about. Yeah, sure. In the last three months, are there any practices that you use to keep on top of mental health, physical health? So I've realised that I'm actually really terrible at it. I'm really terrible at looking after myself. I'm really terrible at sort of taking time to do these things because I feel a real, like you were saying earlier, a real responsibility to always be active. And this is something that has come up quite a lot in my research about black women in particular. I'm sure that you're aware of the image or the stereotype of the strong black woman. So she's she's creating things and she's making things and she's working and you know she's supporting herself and she's supporting her community and she's doing all this doing all of this work and it's a grind and it's a hustle but she's doing it because that's sort of who she is and I think in some ways that has come to be really celebrated you know we talk about how strong black women are and how amazing they are and how resilient they are but that also means that it puts a lot of pressure onto black women and lots of people I've spoken to have said that they find it really hard to rest or take a break or even to celebrate the things that they've done that have gone well because we can't take that time to take our foot off the pedal because if we're not achieving something, then who are we? And that's something that I've only very, very recently realised is very, very true of me. So like, I got this book deal last year. I didn't celebrate it at all. I was like, well, I can't celebrate it. I haven't finished writing the book yet. Then the book went on pre-sale and it started topping charts, which was ridiculous in my mind. And people were like, oh, celebrate. I was like, well, I can't celebrate. It's not out yet. There's always like something. There's always something to do. And so, yeah, I've really recognized that in myself that I, I don't take very good care of myself and I don't take time to sort of celebrate things. And that's something that my partner is actually really good for. They're always like, have you drank water? Have you brushed your teeth? And I really sort of appreciate having those people around me to really encourage me to do the things that I can often overlook for myself. Sure, especially right now, if you're being pulled in all these directions, it's the, it is the simple stuff, isn't it? The, yeah, the drinking the water, the getting enough sleep, the just yeah. simple self-care things that are so important. Mm. Um, did, so did you write the book that you needed, do you think? Yes, I think so. So I wrote the, well, I started writing Millennial Black the proposal for it. I probably started that about two years ago. And it's because I'd got to a point in my career while I was really senior, but I looked around and there was no one else like me. There were no other black women in really senior positions. And there were also no books that sort of spoke to that explicitly. So there were loads of career books for women, but they largely seem to operate from the presumption that their readers will be white women. Because advice like lean in, use your voice, push for what you're worth, All of that is really good advice, but it doesn't work in the same way for everybody. And it really doesn't work if you're a minority who is classed as angry or aggressive when you push for things and say, yeah, I couldn't find the book I needed. Hopefully Millennial Black will fill that need for someone else. Yeah. We, we uh, Shelf Help is all about your relationship with yourself um, and getting to know yourself. And I know mm-hmm. that the book writing process and publishing process is, is massive for lots of people. So it'd be interested in, to know how your relationship with yourself has changed from two years ago to getting the book deal, to writing the book, and then to now uh, as using that as a springboard to now be representing this issue for a lot of people. Mm. I think... When I first started pitching it out, 
so the way that books work is you need to write a proposal then you get an agent then your agent puts it to publishers and you decide the one that you want to work with and take it from there so I think when I was first sort of working on the proposal I spent a really long time on it I spent so long researching and getting all my stats and backing everything up and putting it into like a beautiful google slides presentation and like all of this stuff and then I put it out to agents and they were like wow you've done a lot here and I was like okay to me just like doing the minimum I didn't feel like anyone would take what I was saying seriously because I didn't feel like there was a wider conversation about black women in particular in the workplace and how their experiences are unique so I guess over that time I've essentially just become more confident I've become more sure that there's a need for this conversation I've become more sure that there are people who will listen and I've become really reassured that it's not just minority women who are willing to have this conversation but that people like your partner being passed it by his colleague that there are people who don't have sort of skin in the game in the same way that um, marginalized people do who are willing to say this is important and this matters So yeah, I think it's been a a process of becoming more confident and assured that this is an important thing that people are ready to talk about. Absolutely. And we're talking about finding that confidence, finding a voice, because as you're becoming more well known, people um, are looking to you. A lot of your recommendations to people would be to listen, but then also to take action. So do you have any advice for people who maybe don't feel like they have a very strong voice, but now they really feel like they have something to say? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't feel like I had any voice, really. You know, I made that post on social that we were talking about when I had, as I say, under a thousand followers. If you look at that post, one of the slides is duplicated. There's a mistake in it. There's typos in it. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. It's just something I made because I felt like I needed to do something. But I didn't think that this would be what I did. I just think we underestimate the power that we have and the power of our platforms. And even if you don't have a big platform, the relationships that we have are the places where we're most able to make change. Me saying something on social is not going to affect your mother or your husband in the same way you sitting down and having a conversation with them will. So I think no matter how sort of limited we feel that we are, we have really impactful and direct spheres of influence where we can really make a change. Yeah. And we're talking now about them moving forward. And I think I think there really is an opportunity here for good things to happen. Obviously, the conversation is happening um, in places like, as you just suggested, that maybe it had, has, hasn't happened before. So that is, is a good start. What would you like to see happen from here? Like, do, How do you feel about the future at the moment? It's interesting because I've never been good at thinking about the future. So I started working in advertising by accident. Someone from Saatchi's just phoned me up and was like, do you want to come for an interview? And I was like, cool. And then I worked in advertising. You know, that doesn't ever happen, right, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. <laughs> I was just like, all right. Um, so, yeah, whenever anyone's like, what do you want in five years? I'm like, I don't know, because, like, I've never known. But I feel more, I feel more optimistic about the future because I've seen the way that people have had these conversations but what I'm also really hopeful for is that people understand that these conversations are longer term that it's not a we all put our minds to it and fix it now like mm. 
work is important, but the work is long. And I really need people to not get to a month, two months, six months, a year from now and feel like, well, we've done our job now. We've done our part of it and we fixed what we can and we're satisfied with the rest. So, yeah, I guess what I hope for from the future is that we find a way to crystallise this energy and keep it moving forwards. Definitely. I saw a post that you made. It's about allyship fatigue. Do you think you're going to get fatigued of, of leading this allyship movement or is it something that you're you're passionate about keeping up? I'm absolutely passionate about it because for me and for all sort of marginalised, visibly marginalised people, people of different races or different physical abilities or things like this, we can't opt out. We can't stop. We've never mm. had the choice to not be in this conversation. This yeah. isn't something that I can decide I don't feel like talking about anymore because it's still going to be my life like it is for all people with marginalised identities. That's not to say that I'm not tired. That's not to say that we're not all already really fatigued, but we don't have the choice to stop and we never have. Yeah, it's your reality, isn't it? So yeah. for people who who it, it isn't our reality, then it's our it's our responsibility now to to understand the experience that we haven't had. I mean, my biggest learning has, re- has really been that allyship is not expecting people of colour to do to do all the work and to kind mm. of keep educating people. So that's why I'm and really appreciate your time, especially now, because I do understand that that is. Um, is the term emotional labour like trying to educate people on something that you live all the time so living it and educating on it yeah must be exhausting so how would you think people can be part of a solution is it by continuing to educate ourselves in the black experience is it by following different people is it by reading more is it you did a great post about how to complain to the house of lords that was one particular thing so there was a member of the house of lords who was um tweeting really transphobic hate speech essentially and directed at Monroe Bergdorf and it's just not how you can talk about people it's not how you can talk to people especially when you're in a position of authority and responsibility and I think the um the way that you make complaints about members of the House of Lords is deliberately opaque and difficult to understand and so yeah I wanted to simplify that luckily my partner has a degree in politics and thinks that things like that are fun. So they did a lot of the research and I did a lot of the using my platform. And I think together we were able to make something where so far over 23,000 people have clicked through to learn how to make a complaint, which is amazing considering that in an average year that, that complaints process only gets 20 complaints total. So just seeing that people wanted to use their voices in that way was great. But I think what comes next is not leaving it to marginalised people to make those templates to sort of have that initiative. I think, yeah, educating yourself is really great. I think not turning to marginalised people for validation of what you've done, not using marginalised people as Google. So, so much. I get so many messages that are just, what does allyship mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? When it is genuinely quicker for you to put that into Google than it is for you to ask me. I just think taking some of that responsibility, so not just learning, but taking the responsibility for that learning is a, is what has to happen next. Because as we were saying a minute ago, not only are we tired now, we've been tired. And so we need people to 
look at ways that they can take on that self-supported learning and then pass that learning on to other people without us having to be either the leaders or the middle people within that. Yeah, so being a support rather than a drain, really. Yeah. I love hearing about you and your partner, just listening to your journey of the jobs you've done and stuff like that. It's like basically world domination for you two. You've got everything between you. Oh yeah, we're a power couple. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like all the skills that you've got from advertising, social media, all that kind of stuff is really, it's, it's enabling people to join the conversation in a different way isn't it and I think yeah. and what we do with Shelf Help is all about making self-development more accessible and celebrating the idea of working on ourselves and I think looking at your account and talking to you it's very much about celebrating the fact we can have a voice and we can we can make a difference mm-hmm. what, what would you what would you say or what would your advice be if there's any younger girls or women listening to this and they are now feeling kind of galvanized into doing something what would your advice to them be do it absolutely do it and we spent that time, we made that how to complain to the House of Lords thing that we just spoke about. And yesterday we got an email back, everyone who made the complaint got an email back saying, thank you so much, we're not actually going to do anything about this. It's about doing things, seeing if it works. If it doesn't work, that's not the end. It's just about finding a new path. So yeah, if you're feeling galvanized, give it a go. When I first started to get a following, which sounds Mm-hmm. bizarre but I think you know what I mean I was like okay so I'm like famous now how can I turn this into something good so I just reached out to different companies and was like I want to start a web shop because I want to sell products because I want to turn people's interest into money and I want to turn that money into donations and I think people were like well no one's going to do that for you because they'll have to print it and they'll have to host it and they'll have to ship it And I was like, well, I'm going to try. And within, I think, 48 hours of approaching people, I had a web store with products in it that people could buy. That's something I never thought that I would do or have. Um, You had a poster campaign, didn't you? I had a poster campaign. Around London. Absolutely, yeah. I was on my way to a Black Lives Matter protest and I was noticing that there were lots of um, big out-of-home posters talking about community and solidarity. and. It's because while COVID has been happening, people aren't going outside. And because people aren't going outside, media companies can't sell billboard space because there's no one to look at it. So I reached out to the agency, which is called Jack. And I said, the posters that you've made are great. I'm doing work on anti-racism. Can you put up some of my posters? My posters didn't exist. There were no posters. And they were like, yes, but we need files from you by the end of the day. And I was like, okay, cool. So I called up my friend and they helped me turn my Instagram digital assets into print-ready assets. And I think, like you were just saying about my partner and the skills that we have, I think having built up a really great group of people who I call my lady gang, who are just the people with a really great diverse range of skills and knowing that if they have the time, they will help me. And if they don't, they will probably direct me to someone else who does have the time. So knowing how to use your network and asking questions, asking, can I do this? You'll be amazed at what you can actually make happen. Yeah, 
That's brilliant. I mean, like you say, just asking. And then if the answer's no, then you find a different way. So not expecting the answer to always be yes and then being prepared for sometimes it's not going to be easy, but yeah. it's always going to be worth it. Yeah. Brilliant. I think most of the time people will say no because I'm asking mm-hmm. these people essentially to lend their skills that they've built over careers for free. Sometimes they won't have time. Sometimes they won't want to. Fine. It's just you just ask someone else something else next. Mm. being brave enough to take those steps which is brilliant Mm. such brilliant advice my final question for you actually is what's the biggest lesson you've taken from the past few months or weeks I mean there's lots there already anything else that sticks out I think it's just to reiterate that you can do more than you think I think people want to help people if someone comes and asks you for a favor that you think is good you'll probably do what you can to help them and people want to do that for you just ask ask someone if they can help you use your voice and you don't know what will happen this whole thing has been an unplanned sort of whirlwind for me and I don't think that there's any reason that I should be the only person who can get this momentum behind them I think we all can we just have to ask more and be braver and say this is what I'm trying to do can you help me and I think often the help that you need people will be happy to give it to you yeah and I think also in that is this the power of community and belonging mm. to something. So the more followers you've got, the more power you have. So from you taking some single individual actions has now grown this mega community. And I think that is, there's a really brilliant lesson in that as well. Shall we talk about a new book you've been working on? Yes. So this is all very exciting and it's been kind of top secret until now. It's also a big reason why I'm working so hard and not sleeping. (laughs) So I'm working on a book about allyship, which is really meant to be the jumping off point for people who are either starting their allyship journeys or want to have an an easy foot in the door to these conversations. So I'm getting so many messages from people who are saying, I've just gone to my first ever protest or I've signed my first petition or I've started having these difficult conversations with my mum or my dad or you know people who I've never engaged with in this way and so I talk a lot about breaking your echo chamber so what I worry about is if I'm on Instagram doing this work that I'm just talking to people who already agree and that's why I wanted to do um, the posters that are out in London and that's also why I want to make this book so this book is going to be really small it's just a pocket-sized book like a beginner's guide almost. Exactly, exactly that. And that means that people should be able to just pick it up as a gateway for learning more or to give it to someone who they know wants to be part of this conversation. So yeah, it should give you the words and the resources and point you to further reading so we can all be the best allies that we can be. That's going to be such a brilliant resource. I know. I know loads of people already I'm going to give it to. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And it's coming out soon as well. So I think Millennial Black is a much bigger, much more research heavy, much more stats and data driven book. Whereas this is really accessible and is going to be coming out in October. So it's going to be available for Black History Month and will be in the run up for really easy like seasonal gifting. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully people are able to use it as like a sharing resource in that way brilliant and hopefully by then we might even be able to do an event with real people 
Sophie, thanks so much for all the amazing work you're doing. It's obviously helping so many people and I'm really happy that we were able to have this conversation. So appreciate your time today. I'm really happy too. Thank you so much for having me. Today's interview got you thinking. I really hope so. I'm so grateful to Sophie for being generous enough to share her time and energy with us. As you can tell from the chat, I have a lot to learn, but I'm working hard to prioritise that. And I hope that sharing Sophie's story and the anti-racist message here will help spur on others like me, who can't understand but are ready to try, to support and fight for what is right. For more like this, please check out and subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify. And you can also connect with me and the Shelf Help family online via Instagram or our membership community, the Shelf Help Clubhouse. To find out more about all the ways to get involved and stay connected, head to our website, shelfhelp.club. Thanks for being here.